know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. I have exciting news. I talked about it last week, but stay tuned because we're going to be offering an Emancipation Nation network that you can get on and you can take classes, workshops, learn social justice leadership, anti-trafficking programming, policy work, how to open a group home, do street outreach. You'll be able to connect with other advocates across the U.S. and around the world. So we're putting that together. So please stay tuned. It's going to be exciting. No longer are we going to be disconnected, disjointed, but we're going to be able to communicate online with each other anytime we want to, given this community. So as soon as we get all the nuts and the bolts in place, we're going to be announcing it giving you the link to join if you want to and connecting you in ways that hopefully makes you feel more inspired, more connected, more educated, more skilled. Uh, It's going to be exciting. So today I'm doing another solo podcast. I really want to talk about parents and misinformation and trafficking and keeping kids safe. So there's been a lot of misinformation about how youth are recruited into sex trafficking, particularly Hollywood, Facebook, national news media would have us believe that youth are snatched off the streets and chained and forced into the sex trade. And of course that has happened and does happen, but it's not very common. And based on my years of research and and over 30 years of focused work in communities, Um, again, it's happened, but overwhelmingly the most common type of recruitment used by sex traffickers, AKA pimps, is that of befriending a vulnerable young person, manipulating them into the sex trade. So these sensationalized accounts of snatching kids and forcing them have been cropping up on Facebook. I've talked about it in the past, um, about the zip ties being tied to bumpers. And when the person gets out of the car, they cut them off to cut them off. Then they get snatched and trafficked or, you know, stories about driving down the street and somebody's laying in the middle of the road and you get out and then they traffic you. And these stories like set the community off in the wrong direction. And unfortunately away from protecting youth that actually are at risk of being trafficked. Um, in actuality, stories like this are more indicative of kidnapping rather than trafficking. The nature of the crime of trafficking is unfortunately more insidious, more complicated, and a lot more clever than a simple snatch and grab and force. And unfortunately for most Americans, they misunderstand trafficking. And the more this underground business continues to thrive, um, And the more we get people to misunderstand what trafficking is, then this $150 billion 
worldwide business can continue to thrive. So let's just bring it back to, to what it is in terms of sex trafficking. Sex trafficking is a new name for pimping. In other words, sex traffickers are pimps and pimps are sex traffickers. The fundamentals of the game have not changed, but have expanded, of course, to the internet and social media. But whether online or in person, sex traffickers more commonly manipulate young people into participating in their own victimization, and this is how they do it. They're likely to send a recruiter, AKA a girl that's around the same age as the intended victim to befriend them or to give them a group of peers to belong to. Um, and you know, what adolescent doesn't want a group of peers to belong to? A trafficker may send a young guy that's good looking with a car and pretends he's interested in dating the girl or LBGTQ youth um, have the need to belong like anybody else and be connected to like-minded friends and they may be approached by a young gay teen to connect with them. If drugs are the teen's weaknesses, then drugs may be used. If a teen's in need of a mother figure, then one will be provided. The process is to approach, connect, and win over the youth that's vulnerable. If the youth expresses their vulnerabilities online, then someone may connect with them to fulfill their need. The goal is for the recruiter to eventually introduce the intended victim to the trafficker. In many cases, in what is called the seasoning period, the trafficker will be particularly charming, may even begin to date the teen, show them they love them, um, and the teen may feel like this is the love or the, the group or the friends that they've always wanted. Or it could start out very innocently and then all of a sudden this person, the young person's with, flips the script and makes this young person feel like they owe them something and they need to be repaid back immediately. And the young person is scared, don't, doesn't know what to do, and then feels like if I just pay them back this one time, then I'll be out of it. If I just engage in whatever they want me to do this one time, then I'll be out of it. But that's further from the truth. Now, over time and through manipulation, the trafficker positions himself so that he's deep inside the victim's head and in control of their heart and convinces them that the trafficker, the trafficker is the only person in their life that they need or that they should ever listen to or that they should ever believe. The victim buys in and also believes that he's the most powerful person in the room and in the community. By that time, it's almost too late and it's very, very difficult to convince that young person otherwise, to convince that young person that this person or this group of friends is destructive to them. Then, Selling them and making them follow strict rules is the order of the day. Rapes, beatings, other forms of trauma are eventually experienced. Sex trafficking and pimping is all about the money. Professional traffickers typically wouldn't snatch a child off the street, although, again, it has happened. Since the goal is to make a lot of money, snatching a young person off the street translates into taking a lot of risk 
and making a temporary amount of money. Because as the trafficker, I now have a hot product with me that the police and the community are looking for. If as a trafficker, I can get a young person to participate in their own victimization along with me, then I can keep them involved in most of their expected roles at school or at home while I'm selling them on the side. Or if they're homeless or a runaway, I can keep them away from home and continue to sell them. If they're at home, I can convince them to tell their parents that they're spending the weekend with a friend and I can sell them all weekend. This is low risk and high yield. And that is typically, not always, but typically, most commonly what the trafficker is interested in. Snatching and grabbing a youth would be easier for society to address because it would mean that the young person would be happy to escape and is grateful when law enforcement breaks down the door to rescue them or when parents try to convince them to stop seeing the trafficker or hanging around these group of friends. In real life trafficking, the victim is not happy to be rescued often and the parents sometimes have an extremely difficult time getting their child back. And if they manage to win their child back because of the high probability that repeated rapes and beatings eventually have occurred, it's never the same child that they once had. Now this is a child that has a lot of trauma. So because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, all parents and youth should be aware of how trafficking really works by becoming educated. In 2000, you know, we passed the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. The states came alongside the federal government and passed their laws to impose strong penalties against traffickers. In addition, human trafficking-focused prevention curricula quickly were being developed and infused in the schools across the U.S., but it's really been a hit-and-miss endeavor. The best prevention involves parents who educate themselves and their youth on human trafficking and who position their relationships with their youth in ways that enable positive and honest parent-child communication. Communication and education are indeed the primary keys to safety. There have been a lot of discussions about how parents are not their child's friend. Instead, they're their child's parent. This conversation kind of evokes images of traditional parenting where the parent just barks out orders, albeit for the right reasons, and the child obediently obeys. The problem with this old school parenting is that the child may not share those most important and sensitive aspects of their life, nor the interactions with others that are nuanced and require the interpretation and the guidance of an adult. Youth may not discuss the soft underside of what is emotionally hurting them or their vulnerabilities that make them susceptible to the trafficker's influence. Youth talk to people they trust and who are open to hear them in non-judgmental ways. If they discuss sensitive topics at all, it may be with a friend. This may be another person with the brain development, the wisdom, and the common sense of an adolescent. That's why today's parent needs to have an evolved parenting style in which the person is both a parent and a trusted competent. There's no longer a distinction between a friend and a parent. 
The parent today must be viewed by youth as a parent whose job it is to provide guidance, but also be the trusted confidant charged with providing confidential help in understanding and navigating a complicated world. A parent like this has to be seen as wise enough to understand the outside world and its demands, savvy enough to negotiate it successfully, and compassionate enough to connect with their children on an emotional and a trusted level. Children need to see their parents navigate and negotiate scary terrain and see them both fail and succeed. Today's parent needs to be educated on the social issues and provide a context for these type of conversations. In doing this, children are able to see a parent's humanness making it easier for you to approach a parent about a problem and ask for guidance. For instance, I say this all the time. What was your conversation? What were you, what were you talking about when you were talking about the Bill Cosby case? What were you saying when you were talking to other adults about the Epstein case, the Harvey Weinstein case? Because this conversation that you had with adults, there were little ears around listening. And what you said really is how young people will approach you or if they will approach you, if something happens to them that's very emotional and very sensitive to them. So as the person who is in the role to provide guidance parenting, safety, but also build trust so that you can hear those sensitive topics. What type of parenting do you provide? Picture two well-known television families. I think of the Huxtables from the Cosby show. Uh, don't picture Bill Cosby himself, but him as Mr. Cosby and the Johnsons from Blackish. Both are very invested in their children. However, the Huxtables use a more traditional style of parenting where respect from their children and others in their lives is a prominent theme of the parents and of the grandparents. The Johnsons, on the other hand, have a more fluid parenting style where respecting parents is only one of the themes. Both types of parents work to connect with their children, but the children in Blackish see that the lives of the parents aren't always well put together. They're a little messy and things don't always work out. Andre and Rainbow, along with the grandparents, Ruby and Pops, are a family that's connected to community issues and social issues. They consistently demonstrate that their family is wise and aware of various types of community problems and they engage with people from many walks of life. Rainbow continually checks in with her children and tries hard to be their confidant. These parents are seen as being in the know and they offer guidance of various types and on many meaningful levels. In talking to Rainbow and Andre or even grandparents Ruby and Pops, children know that they're loved and they'll be protected but will also walk away with guidance and wisdom and support from an educated and aware perspective. Because the children have seen their parents' willingness to stay in touch with social issues 
and with them, the channels of communication stay as open as possible given they're, they're dealing with adolescence. The children have seen them grapple with tough decisions as well as navigate through questionable people in their lives. If you remember, they had an episode where one of their family members or friends came back from prison. And although difficult, a conversation about trafficking recruitment may be forthcoming. It may be a lot easier than a conversation about potential trafficking with Claire and Heath, Heathcliff. Was his name Heathcliff? Huxtable, I can't say it. Or even a more uncomfortable conversation about trafficking with Anna and Russell, who were the Huxtable's grandparents. Now, if you're not a big, avid television watcher, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. But in summary, people that have a very strict, rigid parenting style, it's going to be more uncomfortable to have conversations about social issues risk and safety than parents who are able to be more fluid. Parents where the children see you don't always have it together, yet you pick yourself up and you work through those issues. Kids need to see that. Through conversation activities and positioning yourself, a parent can instill the message that although your child knows you think of them as smart and capable. They should share what's happening in their lives so that you as the parent can use your wisdom to guide them. Just like Rainbow, who's always trying to find out what's happening in her children's lives and goes to great comedic lengths to do so. Loving, connecting, and building trust with each of your children will open the lines of communication and increase the opportunities to keep them safe. Parents and youth should take time to learn about how real trafficking happens and take steps to educate themselves and their children. Parents should help youth to develop a sense of their surroundings at all times. You should be taught to be cautiously optimistic, believing that life and people are generally safe, but to exercise caution in their surroundings as well as with the people they engage with. I know with my daughter, Lisa, it was very important that she know that we believed love was good. You know, love is a good thing. So many times we tell our teenagers, don't do this, don't do that, no, 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 but we forget that we just have to teach them to be safe because love can be defined in all kinds of ways and love is something that should be sought after and cherished and um, it's awesome it's amazing we just have to teach them to be safe having friends having peers giggling laughing uh, being on the social scene going skating into the mall those things are awesome like we can't forget that those are great fun. We have just have to teach kids to be very safe, to be cautious, to understand that everybody is not well-meaning. And I guess with my daughter, you know, if I had to err on the side of, you know, I'm creating this paranoid child, which I don't want to, or I'm creating somebody who's naive and, and not going to be as safe, then I guess I'm going to err on the side of creating a paranoid person. 
But I ended up uh, creating an adult. She's 31 years old. She's generally happy, you know, um, satisfied with life. Um, she has fun. She has friends. But she knows a lot about how to be safe and also how to speak up and how to get out of situations if she feels unsafe or she feels that she's with someone who is making her nervous or making her gut feel uncomfortable. And so that's those are the types of things that I wanted to do with my child. And I, and I know we can debate on parenting styles and what we should, an intellectual debate is, is a great thing to do. But when you go home and lay your head on the pillow at night, that's your child. And so people can say what they want, but I know that you will do everything possible to protect your child. And so from one parent to another, do you boo. Keep your children safe, educate them, and remember, children will listen to you after they feel listened to. Let's not just do something, let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues. <laughs>